0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Hey
1: everybody, and welcome into a new edition of the Patriots Beat Podcast here on the CLNS Media Podcast Network and on Patriots Press Pass. I'm Evan Lazar, joined, as always, by Alex Barth. And today, we're going to start with the coaching carousel, a couple hires today, see how that trickles down to the Patriots side of things, some news about the Raiders coaching search coming out last night as well. We'll get into Patriots offseason needs and start ranking them. I think there's some very volatile opinions on the offseason needs. Not that that actually matters in the grand scheme of things, but well, some- when isn't there? Some people are very strong, Alex, though, that the Patriots need to make defense a priority. And other people are really strong that the Patriots need to make offense a priority. So I, I find that a conversation interesting. We'll talk some senior bowl, but I wanted to start with the coaching carousel. Today, two hires: the Broncos hiring Nathaniel Hackett, uh, the Beer, the Bears going with uh Matt Eberflus from the Colts, defensive coordinator in Indianapolis over the last couple of years. But I think there are some interesting Patriots things going on here as well. Let's start with the Raiders in that situation in Vegas. Uh, Vic Tarfer of The Athletic last night reported that Josh McDaniels was calling around to his other coaches around the league to try to put together a staff to bring with him to the Raiders. Uh, They have obviously interviewed Dave Ziegler, the Patriots, Patriots' de facto GM, for their vacant GM position as well. And Gerard Mayo interviewed there. So there was some rumors at one point in time that the Raiders were trying to form a Patriots West, if you will. And it doesn't sound like that's going to come to fruition. And and my read on the situation, Alex, and I don't know if you have a different take on it is that Ziegler was the guy that they really wanted or were really interested in. And, I think that people were connecting a lot of tea leaves that if Ziegler got hired, that he might want to bring with him one of the Patriots assistants as the head coach, like a Gerard Mayo or like a guy in Josh McDaniels, who he goes very far back with. Uh, McDaniels actually discovered Ziegler in Denver and then brought Ziegler with him to the Patriots when he came back from the Broncos and that whole thing. So to me, it's, it's Ziegler, who's kind of the guy that was putting all of these rumors together.
0: Yeah. Um, and I, I, you know, we've talked on this show. I've talked about how I think Ziegler is like the guy. I think if you're the Patriots, you hope they hold on to As much as I like Gerard Mayo, I trust them to to keep things together on the defensive side of the ball. Um, yeah. Pretty much everybody knows where I stand on Josh McDaniels. Ziegler and Wolf to me were the bigger, bigger worries. Um, I think, and, and I, I talked about this on Tuesday, my sort of out there read of the situation was there's really, you know, with, with car being in the last year of his deal, there's two ways they can go. They can stick with car. Cause they're, they're, I mean, they're close. they got a pretty good roster. Yeah. Stick with car, pay him, try to round the edges out and see if you can compete in a really tough division or just hit the total reset button, move on from car draft, a quarterback, etc. And to me, McDaniels was the, was the option B coach, right? If you're going to draft a quarterback based on what McDaniels did with Mac, he's the guy right. you want in the building. So what I see that as is they decided they're sticking with car to me like that, that told me, okay, there's a, there's a car extension coming in the next couple of days. And in regards to the uh, Josh McDaniels is already was making calls. And then something happened. If I had a nickel for every time that happened, I'd only have two nickels, but it's kind of weird that it's happened twice, right? Uh, Did did Josh McDaniels get McDaniels by the Las Vegas Raiders? It'll be interesting to hear. I'm sure we'll hear, whether it's a year from now, five years from now, I'm I'm sure we'll hear the behind the scenes of what happened the last couple of days, but I'm really interested to hear exactly what went down.
1: To be fair and transparent about these types of processes though, and these, these head coaching interviews, calling around and at least having an idea of what your staff would look like is pretty commonplace, right? Because you're going to get interviewed for these jobs And and let's use Josh McDaniels as the example. They know that if they're going to hire McDaniels, that McDaniels is going to run the offense. So they're going to naturally, one of their questions in the interview process is, who are you going to hire to run the defense, right? We know we're going to hand you the keys to the offense, but who is your defensive coordinator? Who are some of the guys on the staff that you would like to go out and get? How would you like to make this thing work? Another big thing that we're seeing down in Jacksonville right now is who has control of the roster. Right. Who has control of the 53, who has control of the 90. And and those types of discussions are big in these interviews as well. So you have to understand what you're getting yourself into in a lot of ways. So I don't think it's that much of a proof that Josh McDaniels thought that the Raiders were really going to hire him, that he was talking to other coaches around the league about potentially teaming up in a situation that he was to get a head coaching job. The other thing that I find interesting about all of the coaching carousel nonsense is that there's only so many... You know, it's musical chairs, right? And there's only so many right. seats. And there's seven openings still, but there's a lot of rumors of where other guys are connected to. The Jaguars are trying to put out there through Schefter and Rappaport, uh, they're interviewing other candidates, but they want Byron Lefwich. They're just in a negotiation. They're trying to get some leverage with Byron Lefwich right now. The Dolphins are clearly not going to bring this person back because they just fired him. The Giants are probably looking at building a Buffalo Bills type of organization there with Brian Dable so the name I'm getting to here is Brian Flores who when he got fired in Chicago I thought was another possibility for Brian Flores as well and it's not going to happen the Giants is his hometown team a lot of connection there as well but when they hired uh you know they're trying to create that that Buffalo Bills type of thing as I said Uh, with their general manager hire so when I look at all this and and I see okay maybe Houston could be on the table for Brian Flores but it does seem like Nick Casario is trying to potentially distance himself a little bit from the Patriot way if he can with the head coaching hiring talking about Josh McCown and some of these other outside the box hires rather than just bringing in a Patriot guy but at what I'm getting at here is, is, is could there possibly be a, a chance that Brian Flores is left without a seat because we're kind of headed in that direction right now, which is really a surprise to me because I thought that he would be one of the hottest candidates when he got fired.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, it, it does kind of seem like he might end up on the outside looking in and look, there's more qualified head coaches than there are openings. We knew somebody was going to get left holding the bag. Right. Right. You know, there's, there's other guys I think that are deserving. The um, uh, enemy is going to go. It sounds like he's going to go another cycle without leaving Kansas city. And you really wonder what's going on there with everything he's done with that offense. Um, right. Seems like Les, Leslie, Leslie Frazier is a guy who, who's going to kind of fall off. And I thought he did a good job this year. So it's a numbers game ultimately like you alluded to I think with Flores you know in terms of because you're you're getting to could he come back to New England yes I I just wonder what does that look like and this is like I would bring him back I would I would move everybody out of the way and make him the DC but are they going to do that right because I think Mayo's now on the outside looking into I think Gerard Mayo kind of um, and in that report last night, it didn't say he was any more or less likely to get the Raiders job. It's just mentioned he interviewed. But if Mayo comes back and you still got Steve, is Brian Flores going to come back and be like one third of a linebackers coach? Right. And,
1: and don't forget about Matt Patricia. There, There's too many. That's true. Yeah. There's too many hands in the pot right now. There's to already too many Brian people. Yeah. So look, I yeah. would clear
0: and this it's not going to happen, but right. I would clear all of them out and just make Brian Flores the DC right in a second. It's, it's, it's just not realistic. So maybe if Mayo leaves, you pay him a ton to be the linebackers coach. And you like what Saban does, right. You call it career rehab, come back here for a year. We're going to pay above your pay grade. It's going to go well. And then you go off, you be a head coach again next year. Like maybe that's the pitch, but even still, then you need Mayo to leave, which who knows if that happens. So, I'd love to see Brian. It does seem like Brian Flores isn't going to have a job. I'd love to see him come back to New England. Shouldn't happen. He should be a head coach, but um, I'd love to see him come back to New England. I just, the numbers, why why is he coming back, right? Why is is he, what is his draw to come back here? I just don't see it.
1: I'm with you 100% on this. There's too many hands in the pot at the moment. And last year, as I reported last week, it was honestly a problem last year with how many voices there were in the room and how many uh, people really were in on game planning, uh, game planning, play calling, pretty much all of it. Right. In in terms of uh, how the Patriots are running their things on the defensive side of the ball. The only way that Flores coming back makes any sort of sense is if Gerard Mayo gets a job, right. He comes back as the linebackers coach. He obviously will have an inflated uh, purpose in the building than just the linebackers coach, but uh, that's what you're probably going to call him it's a tough situation. We we've talked about it a lot with Steve Belichick. The Patriots are not going to appoint a defensive coordinator by title with Steve on the, on the staff. I, I just don't see that happening. I don't. I don't think that Bill uh, will supplant Steve as a defensive play caller, even for somebody with head coaching experience and successful head coaching su- experience at that. This is not Matt Patricia, where it failed in Detroit, right. and you're bringing him back. Brian Flores was good in Miami. He got fired for reasons that were outside of football, for the most part. You know, personalities and relationships clashing uh, down there in Miami. So. I find the whole thing fascinating with Brian Flores because I think he is one of the 32 best coaches in the NFL, but there is just a situation here now where there's just not enough openings for the guys that uh, these other teams want. The giants would make the most sense for a lot of reasons, but they seem dead set on Brian Dable. I personally think Brian Dable picks the giants over the dolphins. I I don't know if that's a, a hot take or not, but uh, it just seems to me like you would like that general manager relationship better knowing the guy running the ship rather than going down and working with Chris Greer in Miami. And then uh, both situations kind of are resetting at quarterback or have iffy quarterback spots as it is. I would say maybe the talent around the quarterbacks a little bit better in Miami uh, than oh, it is certainly. in New York. But yeah. at the same time, I think you're looking at Dable potentially building something long-term there uh, versus in Miami. It's, you're getting hired to to figure it out now and and win immediately. Brian Flores won 10 games. I want to take a second to shout out our friends at betonline.ag. BetOnline would like to wish you a happy new betting year as we continue our march to the playoffs and beyond. BetOnline remains the number one spot for all the best sports wagering action for 2022. New year, and a new updated desktop and mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code CLNS50 to get started. That's CLNS50 to get started from football, basketball, hockey, boxing, and UFC. Right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for 2022. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports. Bet online, where the game starts. Yeah, I mean, Miami's
0: got to be. I still think Houston's the least attractive job. I stand by that. I still think Houston's the least attractive job out there. Miami's got to be second, right? Yeah. Like Miami has got to be, it's yeah. down there. Uh, maybe the Saints. Not, I forgot the Saints job open. That's not a great spot.
1: Even if you, I don't know, the Dolphins, I don't think is terrible. If you look at their roster, right? Their roster is, it got a lot right. of talented players on it. I'm not talking about two. I'm talking about Jalen Waddell and Xavier Howard and Byron yeah. Jones and, and some of the other guys. Outside I, say that,
0: I say that more in the sense that if I'm a coach considering it, I look at it and I say, well, the owner's going to be very meddling, and he's right. clearly okay getting rid of a coach who's making progress. Like, I just – it's it's less attractive to me more about the job security and the owner than necessarily what you have to do football-wise. Like, I wouldn't be in a rush to go work for Chris Greer and Steven Ross, right? That's that's yeah. more where, where no, that, that comes totally from. Fair.
1: Yeah. Uh, Do you think the the hate for Steve Belichick is warranted? I know this is sort of opening up a can of worms, but I'm just reading the chat and and this is not the Steve Belichick show. And I I read my replies all the time about when we talk about coaching and things like that. And For some reason, it seems like Steve is the scapegoat because the coach is his father. And and I totally understand that there's some nepotism at play here. And and there's certainly some corners being cut for Steve in terms of his role on the staff. But I find it interesting that so much of the blame is going to Steve, even though Bill Belichick, arguably the greatest defensive mind in the history of football, is the head coach of the team.
0: Yeah. You know, look, as somebody who lost out on the starting quarterback job and pop Warner in fifth grade to the coach's son. I feel like I'm qualified to talk about this. No. Um, and, and by the way, uh, he, he was my, he was much better than I was. Um, I, I, you know, it's, I, I, Steve, yeah, Steve probably gets too much crap and I don't yeah. think the defense is perfect, but, and I, I've said this, I said this in kind of a different sense, uh, last week in the last couple weeks, I don't think it's as much Steve or patricia or mayo individually i think it's the way they're trying to wedge all those guys in there and give everybody a chance at once right. i just think it's too much i think it's too much i think you need to have organization i think it needs to be and i i talked to ted johnson about this last sunday and he's been in that room he knows how th- that works yeah he said it should be the same guy going over the film from practicing games coming up with the game plan and then executing that game plan. He said that that really needs to all be the same person because you're just going to get no matter how much football each of the individuals know in that process, things are going to get lost in that process. Wires are going to get crossed when that process has to jump from person to person. So I think because Steve is the play caller, it ultimately falls on him and I don't necessarily think he's been perfect either, but I think for him, for Mayo, for Patricia, for Bill, I think it's just an imperfect system that needs to be reworked regardless, like aside from who's even in it. I think you could put just about any coaches in this system and there's inherent flaws in the way that they're organizing their defense.
1: Yeah. I I think that you think it's more of a, an approach issue than anything that's going out on the field and being called the one nitpick I would probably have about his play calling when you actually break it down, play to play is the fact that sometimes I think that he honestly goes to too much in the playbook, right? I mean, Devin McCourty has said at times against the bills in both matchups that Steve pretty much hit every single button we had, right? He called every single play that we had in the playbook or in the install for the game plan to try to stop Josh Allen and the bills. And you do wonder when you have, some new pieces, some guys that are punching above their weight in terms of personnel playing in spots that they weren't necessarily uh, destined to play in when they signed here. If simplifying might have been better off than trying to run some of these exotic schemes that they were running uh, at times. But I I don't know. It To me, it feels like it's convenient to scapegoat Steve because he's the coach's right. son, right? What? It really does yeah. feel that way.
0: It's probably more that. I'd like to think people are scapegoating him because he's the one who's ultimately calling the plays. Sure. Uh, you know, he's the one making the faces on the sideline, all of that. But yeah, I, yeah, I again, I, I think it's more... So It's a rough situation. It, like, there's that quote from Bill from the doc he had with Saban, good players can't overcome bad coaching. Right. I almost wonder if good coaches can't overcome bad coaching, if that makes sense. Yeah. Right. You know, it's all about... The, the Patriot way, a lot of what the Patriot way is about is just taking people who aren't, you know, taking somebody who's really good at something and just putting them in a position to succeed using that skill set and not asking too much of people. And it feels like right now they're asking too much of a lot of the coaches on the defensive side of the ball.
1: Yeah, I I wish that it was as easy as as them just hiring Brian, Brian Flores as the defensive coordinator and wiping right. out the rest of the staff or, or putting demoting the rest of the staff or putting everybody else. In a better pecking order. I wish it was that simple, but I I really don't think it is that simple. And that might speak to some of the nepotism and some of the issues with Steve being Bill's son and not wanting to make uh, Steve, not wanting to demote Steve and putting his career backwards, right, right? and moving his career backwards. All right. Let's talk about these offseason needs. Let's rank them. I have them ranked from one to five here. I, I guess I could go by my rankings, and Alex, you can disagree with me, and we can okay. move it around, or we can just talk about it just as it is right now. So is this? So this is as it stands today. As it stands right now, on uh, was it January twenty seventh at four twenty nice uh, PM? Here is what it stands right now to me top five Patriots offensive needs. We're going to go five to one because it's more fun that way. Build the suspense. (laughs) Number five, I have defensive line. I I don't think that defensive line is an absolute must need an upgrade on that uh, defensive line for the Patriots. I, I do think that it would be great to start getting some more younger players on that line. Like Christian Barmore was last year. And we've already talked about on the program, how much we would love Jordan Davis as their first round pick if he's available yeah. uh, there from Georgia. So I, I still think defensive line needs to be on the radar. I don't think it's a number one need and I wouldn't mind at all. If they really fall in love with a player like Jordan Davis, if that player is there at 21 and they can uh, get another stud on the D line to pair with Barmore, I think that's a perfectly fine approach.
0: Yeah. So I would, and you're talking overall, not just the draft. You're talking overall team yes. needs. Yes. Um. Uh, just as a baseline here fifth need fifth biggest need and call it. I think I I did this last year, breaking it down the way I believe they break it down. There's like 18 positions, right. That they're going to consider. So last year really, you know, after quarterback four through seven, four through, uh, sorry, two through seven, two through eight, we're all kind of interchangeable in terms of like big premier needs this year. We're if we're in the top five and you're starting the top five off with, it's not that much of a need. So let's just, let's just use that as a way because everybody's talking about how this whole roster needs to be redone. No, right. Last year it needed to be redone. I just want to use kind of how you set that up as an example of how far this team has come in the last 10 months.
1: Right. So D line was number five for me. I think we are in agreement there that I'm just going to let you give yours and then I'll give mine. I want to see. Okay. Uh, I'll comment on
0: each position individually.
1: Number four, I have linebackers currently, and I know this is probably a lot lower than people want to hear linebackers be, but I think it's for a couple of different reasons, but mainly uh, the, the number one reason is that I look at the draft landscape and I look at the free agent landscape and I'm just not loving any of the top options for the Patriots on either spot. So rather than reach or overspend or use a first round pick on a player that I'm not comfortable with in the first round for new England I would rather use this as a year to maybe address linebacker as a secondary need right on day two or early day three of the draft or pay a free agent that's maybe flying a little bit under the radar like a guy like Devondre Campbell or maybe you take a chance on a uh, somebody like Leighton Van Der Esch right and you try to right. To maximize a, a failed first round pick. They've done that how so many times in the past. So that's what I would look at. And, and we do have some baking breaking news here. So uh oh. maybe we should go there and first. Back to the coaching wow. carousel Alex. But, oh
0: I read that wrong. Not as much of a wow but wow.
1: But still a little bit of a wow. We talked about this here a few minutes ago. We uh were at least a little bit wrong about it. And that is the Raiders have officially requested a head coaching interview with Patriots offensive coordinator, Josh McDaniels, according to Adam Schefter, McDaniels is now officially interviewing for the Raiders job. So this is now no longer smoke. This is fire, right? He is officially yeah. getting interviewed by the Raiders for that GM jo- or that coaching job. Ziegler still in play there as the GM. So this might be, be coming together in Vegas for Josh McDaniels, but nothing official yet, of course, in terms of the hiring process, but McDaniels officially interviewing with the uh, Raiders, uh, two things that we could kind of take this first, year reaction uh, to that Alex. And then second, I guess we can talk about some potential replacements. If that does come to that.
0: Yeah. Um, so he was putting a staff together before he interviewed, like I'm just confused of the timeline because right. he was a favorite on Tuesday like, this is all backwards. Yeah. He was a favorite on Tuesday, and then he was nearly out of the running on Wednesday. And now on Thursday, they put in a request to interview. And, like, I know conversations happen behind the scenes. I get that. But that's a weird timeline. It's yes. a little weird. It's kind of weird. So I don't know what the hell going on there. I don't know. Maybe the Raiders have somebody else that they want. Maybe whoever. Okay, so let tinfoil hats on here, right? I'm going to fail and Maz this. Right. Let me put this all together, having just heard this. Josh McDaniels is the favorite. Yes. All of a sudden, somebody leaps him as the favorite. Now, right. and this was all done behind the scenes, all smoke and mirrors. For the first time, the Raiders become public about McDaniels. Here's what I think happened. Josh McDaniels, candidate. He's a candidate. He's not the favorite candidate. He's a candidate. Right. They kind of get his hopes up a little bit. The guy they really want. The guy they really want, they kind of let that be known privately yesterday, and that's where the report comes in that McDaniel's is out of the running. But now maybe the guy they want doesn't want the Raiders. Right. Maybe he wants Miami. Maybe he wants New York. So this is the Raiders saying, "All right, well we'll go with Josh then. Right. We don't need you. We'll go to we'll go get McDaniel's." So I wonder if this is posturing by the Raiders to get their own person. And uh, the chat's right; it's it's Bill O'Brien if McDaniel's leaves.
1: So I really think that this is about the GM search more than it is about the coaching search. I think Dave Ziegler is a real favorite or a real potential candidate there. And my gut feeling on it is that if Dave Ziegler gets hired uh, to be the general manager of the Raiders, that he's going to want to bring Josh McDaniels with him. So I wonder if this is the first step of the Raiders saying, Ziegler is essentially telling us that this is a package deal right? If we hire him, we're hiring Josh. And we got to at least interview Josh before we get to that decision on Ziegler uh, to see if we like this as our brain trust, as our battery moving forward at the top of the organization. Because if we don't, then we're out on everybody Patriots, right? We're out on Ziegler, we're out on Mayo, we're out on McDaniels. So I think in a lot of ways, this is as much about the general manager spot with the Raiders as it is about the head coaching vacancy uh, with Las Vegas. So very, very interesting, though. This was through back channels, a lot of chatter. Uh, Don't sleep on Josh McDaniels as a head coaching candidate for the Raiders now. They have officially made it public that they will be interviewing Josh McDaniels. You mentioned Bill O'Brien. How do you feel about this for Mac Jones' development? Because that's my biggest concern with all of this is that I truly uh, would be worried about Mac having too many offensive coordinators in the early part of his career. That is a very quick way to ruin a young quarterback is by changing the voice and the headset every single season and having a ton of turnover there. And when I look at Bill O'Brien, I think it's a great idea from a stylistic perspective, right? He can bring some Alabama stuff with him, bring some college schemes to update the system a little bit. And he can go back to that 2011-2010 offense that he coordinated, not Josh McDaniels. That was Bill O'Brien that coordinated the Gronk and Hernandez two tight end offense. There's a lot of reasons why Bill O'Brien makes a ton of sense. The thing that worries me about Bill O'Brien is that he's going to want to be a head coach again soon here someday maybe even in 2023 whether it's in college or it's in the pros o'brien has talked multiple times about wanting to be a head coach so if you change it again on mac that really means that you're you're gonna have three coordinators and josh mcdaniel and uh mac jones's first three seasons in the nfl and that worries me but maybe the bill o'brien thing is a bridge to Troy Brown or as a bridge to somebody already on the staff. I know Joe judge has had some rumors about he would have been the next guy as the offensive coordinator for the Patriots. If Josh McDaniels had taken the Colts job. So maybe they bring judge back in the building and get him working with Mac a little bit behind the scenes and then eventually transition it after bill O'Brien were to leave. But the O'Brien thing worries me because of the head coaching interest. And I think that that's going to be a big thing for them moving forward.
0: Yeah, you know, I, I think I'd feel better about it, like you said, if they had somebody in the pipeline. And maybe that right. is Troy Brown. He's probably the closest. Maybe this kind of gets them in gear, like you said, of you 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 know, you go from Bill O'Brien to another guy. I think you gotta start, you gotta keep it in the pipeline with Mac. And they might not be able to do that this year. I know Bill O'Brien is very familiar to the organization, but yeah, he hasn't been here with Mac, right? And I, he wasn't at Alabama with Mac. This was his first year at Alabama, right? Or during Correct. my timeline off. Correct. Right. So, um, they've never worked together. They, at least not officially. So, uh, yeah, they've never worked together. So, yeah. you know, you got, you, you hope you can go from O'Brien to Troy Brown, or you, you bring in some hotshot quarterbacks coach, uh, you know, with O'Brien and then that guy's kind of slated to take over next year. If, and when O'Brien leaves, I think that's potentially a way to go with it. So, um. Yeah. I, again, I'm more concerned about losing Ziegler. Honestly. The other thing is with this, if it's O'Brien, they're going to take Metro Williams in the first round. Doesn't that fe- Doesn't it feel like it?
1: I would think so. You, you did mention that uh, Mac and Bill O'Brien worked together during that transition. You're right about that. If I remember correctly, Mac yeah. was actually teaching Bill O'Brien the Alabama playbook. Uh, when uh, when Bill O'Brien was taking over for Steve Sarkisian, so there is some overlap there. He was like, never. I don't think he ever coordinated because his first year at Bama was 2021, right? Yeah. So yeah.
0: Mac taught him the playbook on his way out. I meant they never worked together in that, in that sense. Right.
1: Correct. You know, and, they never worked Texas together in the
0: game on the season. You know. If Texas would just wise, and there's oh, a million reasons why they won't do this. There's like he just signed a massive deal, they'd owe him like half of the state's GDP or whatever. But man, right. if Texas would fire Steve Sarkeesian, who was horrible in his first year at Texas, dreadful in his first year at Texas, You you think the Patriots collapse at the end of the season was bad. Texas lost their last seven, they lost to Kansas. I know it's not a college football podcast, I can already hear you groaning, but no, it's okay. Man, if they if they could just weed Sarkeesian out of Texas somehow, that'd be great. But yeah, Bill O'Brien wouldn't be bad.
1: I think that's the way to go if they can make that happen. I, yeah. I do worry about the three coordinators in three years for Mac Jones being potentially the case if they do hire O'Brien. And uh, But we'll see. I, I Look, I think in a lot of ways, losing McDaniels wouldn't be terrible uh, to the overall philosophy of the offense because there's no doubt about it. Uh, first of all, in the chat, Steve Sarkisian was not terrible for the Atlanta Falcons. Like uh, he, he, there was that one season no. where they threw the ball to Julio Jones twice in the red zone.
0: He couldn't yes. figure it out in the red zone. He could not figure it out in the okay. He still can't. He couldn't. have won an
1: MVP with Steve Sarkisian as his play caller. You realize that, right? Wasn't it Shanahan? No. I th- oh, sure uh, about
0: that—it was Shanahan.
1: Okay, maybe the year after that was Sarkisian. Okay, because he won at twenty-eight-three. He won at the 28th yeah, year, right? right? Yeah, right, right. right. No, I take the
0: the one thing about Steve Sarkisian—once the ball gets inside the twenty, he has no freaking idea what is going on. That is his biggest weakness.
1: So Ian Rappaport is claiming from the ownership level that Mark Davis has had his eye on Josh McDaniels for a while. For, yeah. uh, and this is where all the back channels and this is where all the whispers have formed with and by the, the way, Raiders
0: head coaching vacancy. Sark replaced Shanahan, so yeah. They, no, no,
1: continue. yeah, you're, continue. you're You're right, you're right. The yeah. MVP season was with Kyle Shanahan. I messed that up. All right, so this thing's real with the Raiders and, and Josh McDaniels. We'll continue to monitor that. Uh, Bill O'Brien's one name. We, we were talking a little bit there about Sark. Uh, It's kind of hard-pressed to find another name that makes a lot of sense unless they go completely outside the box here with this OC hire or they promote from within. I think Troy Brown has a chance. Can I throw one out there? Yes. A lot of former Patriots
0: quarterbacks have had success now as offensive coordinators. There's one former Patriots quarterback very familiar with the system that may not have a job soon.
1: Are you going with this or I think you're going with this?
0: I mean, I'm kidding, but yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you picked up on the joke there. No, in all honesty, though, I'd love to see them find, You know, I know most of these guys are already in OC roles, but maybe, you know, a chance to work with Mac or something. Um, uh, Kevin O'Connell. Yeah. um, Zach Robinson. Zach Robinson actually might be a receivers coach right now. Zach Robinson would be a guy who would be interesting. Yeah. Um, Even um, I can't. Rohan Davies coaching at the college level right now. And yeah. he's, he's kind of a quarterback specialist. He's, we have, I can't do names this week. The, the quarter, former quarterback we have on. Tim Jenkins. Tim, he kind of started out like Tim and I think he's gotten into some coaching a little bit. So I would just go through the Rolodex of Brady's backups and see if something right. like, I wouldn't hate that. I want to check on Zach Robinson. Cause I know he, he's kind of been a hot name recently and I don't think he's an OC yet. I think he's a, yeah, he's the assistant quarterbacks coach for the Rams. It's not a bad, a bad one. Wouldn't be a bad option. I, Zach Robinson would be if they're going to go external, and they kind of need
1: to run that sort of offense a you, little bit more. You, too, would, right. I, you would hate if Zach Robinson was the G, was the uh, play it caller, is, though, It's the kind of offense they need to run. I, I, but you, he is somebody that is obviously one of the founding fa- fathers from a brain trust standpoint of PFF. Right. He worked a lot with pro football focus in their beginning years with their grading, with their formulas, with their analytics. I think if a guy like Zach Robinson were to be and he was a former quarterback, I think if a guy like Zach Robinson is the coordinator here, they're throwing the ball 65, times, 65 percent of the time. I, I, I think he's going to bring in a Brandon Staley ish approach to the offense where he's saying we need to be more modern. We need to throw the ball. No, Cause he's go that direction. He's
0: McVay's tree and they run the ball. They do it differently, but McVay Shanahan, they run the ball.
1: My concern with, you know what my concern is with changing it to, a a mcveigh style offense right it, it, it's not that it doesn't work clearly it, it works right the issue is is that you're looking for very very different players like if you're running outside zone all the time mike on Wayner doesn't have a role in an outside zone scheme right he's, he's right he's, i know I too big, he's too slow a trend probably right it, it's not if you're trying to run outside a wide zone system you need to get athletic. Offensive linemen, you need to get fast offensive linemen, you need to get guys that can flow side to side. These big running backs, too Damian Harris or Mondre Stevenson, forget about that, right? You need oh, to get you need I don't to know about that. Stars. No, you he, can't get guys that run that slow going. Todd, Gurley, like Todd
0: Gurley ran that system. So,
1: Todd Gurley was a track star, Todd Gurley could fly you need to get guys that, that get downhill. Say, like we're talking about Raheem Mostert, you know, Elijah yeah. Mitchell, you know, those are the types of players that you want in that type of system. I would say it look, I, I kind of just pulled that name off the top of my
0: head. And these are yeah. valid, valid. No, candidates. no, I, I
1: I was more talking about it from the wide zone perspective. Cause right. I do think there's going to be a lot of people that are going to point to it and say, let's, let's tab a guy from the Shanahan tree or from the McVeigh tree and I'm not even I'm doing from or, the I,
0: Brady backup tree is how I'm doing this
1: but okay. I I I think a lot of
0: those guys and there's a piece by Benjamin Solak the other day who kind of highlighted this yeah I think a lot of those guys really just get off on the idea that they're innovating the game I think a oh, lot yeah. of those guys are just really into the idea not necessarily buying into that wide zone offense but the right. idea they're doing something new so I wonder and I we're talking wide 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 hypotheticals here yeah, I wonder if you could go to Zach Robinson and say, we're not trying to run the Shanahan McVay offense. Yeah. We want you to figure out, we want you to come up with something brand new. We want you to figure out a way to marry some of those concepts to our more traditional approach. Cause that's ultimately what they should be trying to do anyway. So he'd be, he, he'll be an interesting name.
1: Yeah. I, I do also wonder if a guy like Joe Brady gets into this. Right now, the you would love that. Oh, I would love that. But the issue with Joe Brady, uh, in in Carolina was that Matt Rule wanted to run the football. Right? Right. Matt Rule had a no pun intended. Matt Rule had a rule that the Panthers had to run the ball 20 times a game at least, they had to hit that 20 times a game number, and it drove Joe Brady absolutely nuts. But you look at some of the things that Joe Brady did. I wouldn't necessarily say with Carolina, because I think his hands were tied behind his back in terms of creative juices and what Matt Rule actually would let him do in the passing game. You look at what he was doing at LSU with Burrow, and that definitely gets you more excited, right? You have a lot of the empty stuff, a lot of five wide, a lot of RPO college type schemes, you know, a lot going on there that I think is really potentially uh, could work here with Mac Jones, get the football out of his hands space and spread the field. Now you got to go out and get some guys that can run, obviously, that that can get up the field and and can create plays down the field for that kind of offense. And that most importantly, can get open quickly in the short passing game, because he's probably going to run a lot of five and six man protections. So you're not going to have a whole lot of time. Uh, to stand there right. in the pocket and throw. But the Patriots do have the offensive line to make that hold up. So in a lot of ways, I love Joe Brady uh, as well. I, I, I like the idea of the the uh, Brady backup. I, I wish Kevin O'Connell was somebody that, uh, you know, he's already well, he's uh, also, But he's also that same scheme, isn't he? Well, he, yes and no. I mean, he's been in a couple different places. He started with the, with the uh, Washington football team right, right. And, and and then he you know he's migrated over uh jay gruden with the washington football team i think he was still with jay gruden was uh west coast right which is still yeah. similar to the wide zone scheme it's still west coast verbiage and it's the same verbiage but it wasn't quite as heavy on the misdirection play action rollout type of stuff that they do um in san francisco or with the rams uh it's a really interesting conversation because there's no obvious candidate in terms of who would replace Josh McDaniels currently on the staff. Uh, I saw Chad O'Shea mentioned in a couple places as well. I believe he's still in Cleveland uh, on the Cleveland staff. Uh, obviously got fired once before. And um, is the
0: he's the, he the wide receivers coach and passing game coordinator for the Browns. For the Browns. This is his current yes. job.
1: Yes. So that's another one. And you know
0: what? A guy with, experience with wide receivers guy who i believe he was the wide receivers coach yeah. Need, yeah yeah he was the white well no i know it was here but he was the wide receivers coach who developed julian edelman so in a year we're going to need wide receivers you know him and troy brown working with whoever they draft whoever they bring in yeah i don't hate that at all chad or a really
1: interesting name so i also wanted to look at this raiders thing and then we're going to get back to the the point of the show the offseason yeah, needs yeah. But one last thing, we, I've been mentioning Ziegler a lot. It really feels like this domino that could fall on the Patriots right now is that Ziegler is the GM higher with the Raiders, right. too. And that one, I think, is even bigger uh, in a lot of ways than McDaniels, uh, just because the Patriots have had a lot of uh, brain power sucked from that head uh, from that front office over the last couple seasons and they've had a lot of coaching power sucked from the coaching staff as well and it it almost gets to the point with guys like joe judge and with brian flores that even if it's a lot of voices in the room you almost need to re you know cool mm. some of it right like you, <laughs> there's a lot of it gone though Alex like you can talk about Dante Scarnecchia too on the coaching staff gone and now Ziegler's gone in the year after Casario leaves so Elliot Wolf would probably be a very good candidate there yeah, uh, yeah. to potentially replace Dave Ziegler here in the short term uh, there are some lower level scouts that the Patriots are high on uh, I'm blanking on on his name but their director of Matt
0: Groh and- I think is the big one right
1: yeah. Uh, is he the director of college scouting? I I, I think so. Um,
0: college scouting coordinator is yeah, his yeah. official title. Yeah. yeah.
1: Macro has been somebody that the team has been high on. Patriots always have a good pipeline of scouts and, and front office execs that they like. And yeah. obviously Belichick's the general manager anyways. Uh, but it, Ziegler leaving as well seemed to... Uh, steady the ship a little bit in the draft. Certainly I would say over the last couple of years uh, and that one would be a big blow too. So it looks like if McDaniels is legitimately getting interviewed by the Raiders, which is what Adam Schefter and Ian Rappaport are reporting at this point that the Raiders are at least a very, very high on Ziegler as well. And, and it, I would imagine that if McDaniels is getting the job then so is Ziegler and vice versa. I right. Just- well, it,
0: and the other thing that that might do is, you know, who's he going to bring in to run the defense? Gerard Mayo right right. right doesn't feel like mayo would be a candidate there and then maybe that's where you get it we talked about it before brian flores perhaps coming back into the picture
1: that's a really good point get, get yeah. the band back together
0: you get yeah. brian flores on defense bill o'brien on offense joe judge on special teams shadow yeah. O'Shea doing the wide receiver you get the whole bit let's get the band back together baby
1: it's I'm time i didn't even think of that gerard mayo because he could officially get the title with the Raiders of the right and probably a nice
0: little pay bump too.
1: Right. Yeah. That's not a, that's not a terrible theory. Uh, we got working there. So ideal scenario for the Patriots here, Alex, if Josh McDaniels does get the job, I think that the ideal scenario is that he brings Gerard Mayo with him, right? Not no offense to Gerard Mayo, but I, but just no, think, I think that's a
0: win-win for everybody. Right. Yeah.
1: There's clearly some tension there. Ah, uh, between Mayo and Steve, and it seems like that would be for the best. And maybe that does open the door for Brian Flores to come back if he doesn't get a job. Uh, all of this really makes a lot of sense, uh, you know, for the Raiders, though. Uh, so that, that this could come together, and, and that's a that that's maybe the good news here for the Patriots. But first and foremost, most important thing is keeping things consistent for Mac Jones. You you don't want to be completely reinventing the wheel year after year year after year uh, for Mac. Uh, Going forward. All right, let's get back to the offseason needs. Uh, We'll continue to monitor this Josh McDaniels, Dave Ziegler and the entire Raiders coaching search just wanted to break in there uh, with the uh, with the breaking news there. Uh, Linebacker at number four, number three, I had corner. I still think that ideally they bring back J.C. Jackson. I would actually sign J.C. Jackson to a contract extension. I'm not sure if they will do that. The main reason why I would sign him to an extension is because that cap hit on the tag is going to be $18 million, and that basically – eliminates anything else that you could possibly do. Right. This Aussie's yeah, free can. up. Yeah. yeah. Even if you free up all the money that we talked about last week with Miguel, all the different ways that they could free up money, makes it really difficult with that $18 million tag for JC. In a lot of ways, I feel like if they tag JC, they might actually just try to trade him at that point, which I, I hate yeah. that idea, but that, that kind of feels like where that would head if he does get a tag. So number three corner, number two, left tackle. I think this is really something that we should talk about a lot more. We talk about it plenty, but just in general, you have a quarterback in Mac Jones who is a stationary pocket passer. When I say that, that, I'm not saying he's a total statue, but you know what I mean? He's a pocket passer. He wants to stand in the pocket to make throws. Uh, Protecting him at all costs is I think priority number one for the team uh, year in and year out. So getting a left tackle that I believe uh, is an upgrade on Isaiah Wynn, but also somebody that you're not going to pay in in terms of Isaiah Wynn. Now uh, you're not paying Isaiah Wynn. I don't think you're giving him a contract extension. I don't think he's going to be here. If he is on the team next year on the fifth year option, fine. But I don't think he's going to be here beyond that. So getting a left tackle the future, I think is a really important need for the Patriots as well. And obviously number one is, wide receiver, number one offensive weapon, whatever way uh, you want to put it. So I have two offensive positions ahead of the first defensive position. I know that, again, that's probably not going to be super popular. I would put cornerback above left tackle if J.C. Jackson is not in the picture. But I'm assuming that if you look at their secondary with J.C. back – jalen mills and jonathan jones getting that trio back uh for what it was supposed to be i think that that's still a really solid secondary when you incorporate the safeties uh, group that they have as well
0: yeah all right you want mine yes all right um so a couple honorable mentions running back i think is a need um especially a pass catching running back i i have defensive lineman as an honorable mention i think it's it's somewhere they they should add it'd be nice to see them add some depth but i i don't know it's in my top five uh number five free safety specifically free safety they've yeah. been short of safety since they trade this defense is at its best when they're playing a three safety look with two deep safeties they haven't been able to do that really since Daron Harmon left i know you think kyle Duggar can play that role i'm not taking him out of the role he's in now he's just too right. damn good at it not a great safety draft, unfortunately. I don't know. There's a ton of guys that fit this need in the draft. This is probably more of a free agency thing, but you know, Devin, if Devin McCourty doesn't come back, this probably moves further up my list. I think yes. he's gonna come back. Um, but even so you need that's such an important position in their defense. They can't like they can't let what happened at tight end happen at free safety. It's right. it's gonna be really ugly. So I'd like to see them kind of get a guy who maybe can... You at least have a shot at being Devin McCord's replacement. It's,
1: no, it's a bad safety class, though, to be fair. Yeah. I Again, yeah, it's not... A a, one. These are the
0: biggest needs. I'm not tailoring this. Like, some teams need okay. a quarterback this year. I wouldn't want to need a quarterback yeah. this year. Fair Is enough. it right? So not a great if, if somebody in the chat jesse bates i'd love jesse bates I and mean, he's a little more i don't block. think it's i don't think that right. is letting jesse bates i out also you're elevator. you're correct yeah. i don't think he yeah. gets out the door um so free safety is my number five number four inside linebacker you said yes. linebackers i'm going to say specifically mike linebacker I yeah think between-
1: I, I i consider linebackers to be off ball inside backers i consider okay. head defenders to be on the line
0: i i still look at it archaically defensive tackle defensive end outside linebacker yeah. inside linebacker some yeah. guys have positional versatility there i I guess, right. um, you know, I, I'm not taking another outside linebacker. They have Josh Uche. They have um uh, Perkins, Ronnie Perkins, like let those guys right. develop, but they yep. need somebody else on the inside. Donta Hightower is a free agent. Juwan Bentley is a free agent. They don't need another 260 pound guy. We'll see if they go that way. We'll, we'll, I don't know if we're going to do some, some senior bowl stuff. There's some we're guys I'm want like to hit on it. Yeah. My number three biggest need is tackle. Uh, again, it's getting ahead of things. Right now, they have one tackle under contract for next year. One surefire tackle in Isaiah Wynn, who, like you said, is in an expiring contract. Trent Brown, uh, he's up. He's a pending free agent. We don't know how they see Michael Onwenu. This is also a really good tackle draft. I'd like to see them capitalize on it. Um, so I, I have tackle up there. Number two for me is actually wide receiver. Because if they don't get a premier wide out, I don't... I think reconfiguring the offense will do something. I don't think it's enough for it them to get on, on the, reconfiguring it. To be fair, that's fair. That's a big yeah. part of this too. Yeah. I don't, you know, I don't think it's enough for them to catch a team like the Chiefs or the Bengals. But right. at the same time, I think having seen all these pieces in place for a year and getting a whole offseason to iron this thing out, there's some natural regression there or natural progression there. You might be able to move pieces around and add complementary pieces to get something out of it. Again, still the second biggest need. It's still way up there, but number one need is corner because they can't play defense the way they want to right now. Yeah. And I know Jalen Mills was fine as the number two corner, but Evan, we've talked about this. The blueprint is 2018 where you had two shutdown guys on the outside, a great box safety, two deep safeties, and then a Rover in Jason McCourty. And I think that Rover role is so important. And that should be Jalen Mills. Right. That's how you're going to get the most bang out of your buck for Jalen Mills. I want to see him get a real outside corner opposite J.C. Jackson. And by the way, if J.C. Jackson leaves, corner becomes needs one and two on my list.
1: Oh yeah. yeah, draft
0: yeah. a corner yeah. in the first round, yeah. and corners yeah. they could draft a corner in the first round. Corner is still the biggest need if J.C. Jackson leaves, or they could pay a corner, you know, twenty million dollars a year. Corner is still the biggest need on my list if they make that move after they make it. So.
1: Yeah, no, fair That's enough. JC. Yeah, if, J- if JC is not back, then corner's the number one need for me. as I, well. I'm saying it's one and two if yeah, he doesn't come back. Yeah, I don't know. Number one wide receiver, offensive weapon, whatever you want to call it, uh, getting Mac, his Jamar Chase, his Tyree Kill, his DeAndre Hopkins, whatever you know, analogy you want to use is still so important to me. But I look at corner and I do wonder if they have JC in the fold, assuming that uh, it would be great, don't get me wrong, to. Pair J.C. Jackson with, uh, you know, Amon Gardner or one of these amazing corners in the draft and have two shutdown guys like they had at one point with Gilmore and J.C. out there at the same time or with uh, to a lesser degree, I I, I guess, like almost like a Butler and Ryan combination or something like that. But I look at the draft and I wonder if some of these guys that we're going to talk about over the next couple of weeks and months on day two, uh, we mentioned like Kobe Bryant or Josh Job or one of those players that can just be a serviceable outside corner and allow Jalen Mills to be a little bit more of that jack of all trades rover type of player. I think that that's a, a not a terrible option too, but you got to get somebody in here that can play straight man coverage on the outside. Right. right? Like, and I think Job might be an interesting one. And Brian, I think in Cincinnati too, they played a ton of man. So as much as I would love to see them pair. I'll give you
0: another really interesting one too. If we do the senior bowl.
1: Yeah. But, sorry, I, continue oh, yeah, with the senior role. Yeah, as much as I would love to see that, sit here and say like, you know, number one thing, I'll go go and draft Derek Stingley to pair with JC Jackson. Oh, I wish. I don't know if those types of things are going to happen. I think that Stingley and Sauce might be off the board in the top. 10.
0: Oh, Stingley's going top four. Stingley right. is, yeah, Stingley's been out of reach. Um, and I I would just remind people with my list that's not the order I would draft the players. That's not even entirely based on the draft. I think there's still a world even with corner is the biggest need where it would hypothetically make sense to take a wide receiver in the first round and a corner in the second, like that can right. still
1: happen. I know we are going to hear corner in round two from us a lot, and it's going to give them flashbacks, but uh, yeah, I, I well, and, and wide receiver round two was much better. Shout out Chad Jackson. I know. Right. Uh, D'Angelo Ross leaving could signal that they're trying to blow this whole thing up I don't know if that That surprised me is I don't know if we can say that a practice squad elevation type of guy is a signal that they're blowing the whole secondary up but corner is definitely a huge one a linebacker we both had on the list but we didn't have it super high and we both had it for yeah if I oh we both had it four. If I had a dime for every single time somebody told me the Patriots needed speed and youth at linebacker, I'd have a house on Martha's Vineyard already. So can I rant? I, can I, I rant real quick here? You can go ahead. Kobe Dean's not
0: happening for two reasons. Yeah. First off, they're not gonna draft a 220-pound linebacker, they already have a 220-pound yeah. linebacker, his name's Kyle Duggar. Right. So that's basically how Dean plays the game. I know they need to get smaller and quicker at linebacker. The reality is, it's going to be a compromised guy. It's not going to be a 260 guy who can't run. It's not going to be a 220 guy who runs a 4 4. It's going to be a 240 guy who's kind of fast. Quay Walker also tried right. to watch him. The other reason Nakobe Dean isn't, they're not going to draft Nakobe Dean. He's not going to be on the board. Yeah. There's a reason y'all love Nakobe Dean so much. You keep talking about him as the modern NFL linebacker. Every team's going to see him that way. He's going top 15. They are not his look. He's borderline 21 now, and that dude is going to be a freak at the combine, all right? He's not getting the 21. We're, we're, enough with the Kobe Dean. Great player, but it's not happening. He, he was
1: awesome to watch today. I watched his tape today, yeah. and it was oh, I'm sure you loved it. electric. I mean, the guy is just not only – I think he's hits harder and, and like is more explosive into engagements and he gets credit for because of his size yeah. length is going to be a problem for him. Cause he's not going to be able to have the arm length to really lock out and, and press guys off of him. But he, when he comes downhill to meet a puller in the hole, because he's so explosive and he gets, he, you know, he's so quick, he's so fast right. and he gets so much momentum behind his pads. He hits a lot harder than two twenty. you know, you, you can yeah. see it off the tape that it pops, the guy that I was really disappointed. He's gonna be with. he's gonna be the number. I, I think I know where you're going with this. I'm gonna say yeah. Nicobe
0: Dean probably by the time we get to the draft, yes. is the number one linebacker because
1: Devin Lloyd, who is going to be at the senior bowl, and this transitions us into some of these yeah. senior bowl guys. I was super disappointed, Alex. I, I'm not gonna lie. Uh, he's the consensus linebacker one for a lot of people. I think that there's are a lot of flashes and instances where you see some really good explosiveness. I thought he was better in coverage than I was expecting, but still not dominant in that phase. But the biggest thing that concerned me the most was his play against the run. Uh, Twofold, one, play recognition, uh, reading out pullers, reading out blocking schemes, still a work in progress from off the ball. You can tell that processing is something that he's uh, not fully there with yet or even close to. The second thing, when I see a linebacker of that size, when he's like 230, uh, 235, 240, right? He's a little bit bigger than Dean, which is why a lot of people have him ahead of Dean on their linebacker rankings. When I look at him try to take on a puller, I have never seen a 235, 240-pound linebacker more disinterested in contact in my life. Like, this guy is... You would think that he would be fine with standing up a puller, right? With, with coming right. up to a, a lead blocker and, and and mashing him in the hole. Uh, he had no interest whatsoever with contact. None whatsoever yeah. in the three or four games that I watched him play. Uh, blown edges because he didn't want to take on. You know, they, they run like GT counter and they got the, the guard pulling right into his face. And he's like, no thanks. Right. I'm going to try to slip right. it or go inside of it. I'm not going to try to take it on. Then you got guys climbing up to the second level on him and he's just kind of like content to just sit back there and and, right. and really just not as somebody that I was even uh, remotely excited about watching him on tape. I think a lot of people think that he's like a poor man's Micah Parsons. Right. He's not quite as good as Micah Parsons, but, right. um, you know, somebody that could be like that because of his versatility. He can play a little bit on the ball. I thought some of the flashes that he had rushing the passer were probably the best tape that he had in terms of a run defender. He's a point and shoot player. If you put him in the right direction and you get him moving downhill and you say, this is where you're supposed to go and keep it clean and simple for him, then he can bring some really good uh, contact with authority and really a stand up guys in terms of ball carriers. But in terms of all the other stuff that I mentioned, I, I really thought he was going to be a lot better than, than that. And he's going to be at this school, So maybe he'll prove me wrong. He'll Play in there I'll change my mind. Nope, oh, you cut out.
0: Did we lose Evan? Yeah, I, um, I. Nope. All right. So yeah. So I don't know. Do you want to do some senior bowl names? Do you want to wrap yeah, it up? Yeah, do senior I, bowl
1: names here. I have yes. my list
0: here. So the one thing that stands out to me: and Patriots took three guys from the senior bowl last year. They averaged about three and a half players for draft per draft from the senior bowl. About half Seven. of their draft picks are going to come from this list of about 100 players. This is both teams' <laughs> rosters, by the way. So. Keeping that in mind, the really interesting thing to me, Evan, a lot of these wide receiver names we've talked about, Chris Alave, Garrett Wilson, uh, Drake London, uh, Traylon Burks, Wondale Robinson, not on this list. Not on this list. There is one receiver from that upper echelon that is on this list. That is Jahan Dotson. Good player. I think that puts him in the front. If we're talking about, you know, most likely to be a Patriot from that group, they're going to get a closer look at Jahan Dotson than they are any of those guys. And I think they're going to like that. There's really only one receiver that stands out to me here. And that's Bo Melton from guess where Rutgers and Melton's kind of the exact opposite. He's a day three guy, but he's a really fast slot receiver who can return kicks. So a guy like that to me should be on their radar. So those are, you know, guys I circled in terms of, I think might be a fit guys. I'm going to watch closely for them. Those are the only two receivers I have circled on this list. Um, Meanwhile, so that's I think one of the biggest Look, in terms. Can of... Can I just say
1: something quickly on Dodson? Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Go so ahead. I, I have some reservations about Dodson because you know who he reminds me a little bit of is Jalen Rager in Philadelphia, where you hey. see his, you see his lower body and he is he is rocked up, right? He, he's explosive yeah. guy. You can see the speed. You can see the explosiveness in his lower half, and it translates in flashes on tape but what i saw out of his release package in the fact that he couldn't get off the line of scrimmage against press coverage a lot of the time in some of the tape that i was able to see of his there are a lot of instances of him getting jammed up him getting held up at the line of scrimmage and he doesn't fully understand what he's supposed to do with his releases just yet now the thing that they could do with him And maybe what he ultimately is is a Z, right, where you play him off the line of scrimmage and you use rubs or you use stack alignments, you use slot alignments, you use motion uh, to try to get him more free releases where he can just open it up. But when you line him up at the X and he tries to beat press coverage, it's hit or miss. And and that's something that would concern me a little bit about him because he his body type, the way that he plays the game, the Patriots would try to turn him into an X. I don't know right. if the Patriots would move him inside or t- or play him off the line. Which is probably
0: what they need to do.
1: Right. So I think that uh, he's somebody that I'm a little bit wary of just because of the press coverage reps that I saw.
0: Yeah. And look, I, I, I think they could use a guy like that. I just don't. If that's the role you're going to fill, you're talking like that Z, right? Right. Go get Wandale in the third round at that point, right? Yeah. At that point, you don't need to use a first round pick. So wide receiver is kind of a weak position uh, yeah. in terms of Patriots needs at the Senior Bowl. Pretty much every linebacker that's worth talking about, especially inside linebackers there. I'll give you a couple. Devin Lloyd's going to be there. Yes. Chad Mumma from Wyoming is the guy I really mm-hmm. like. Quay mm-hmm. Walker uh, may be my draft crush on the defensive side of the ball. And I, did you watch Troy Anderson from Montana State?
1: I haven't today. yet, but I, I did watch a little bit of Quay Walker just watching, yeah. um, uh, obviously, N'Kobe Dean today. Right. And he's somebody, a title, is he going to be there too? The other Georgia linebacker? I think both of those guys are... Chandler? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, both of those guys, I think, are interesting. They're a little bit... Bigger obviously than Nicobe Dean, uh, but they, they do still move pretty. I mean, that whole Georgia defense flew to the ball, right? It wasn't just Nicobe Dean, he was yeah. the heartbeat of the of that. But uh, all those guys could fly to the football. So, anybody from that Georgia defense, I'm game with.
0: So, yeah, I really like Quay Walker, but watch Troy Anderson. He's he's in it, he's kind of an unknown, and I'll admit, yeah. I haven't seen a ton of him. but the people I trust, what Dave said about him to me, he should be in the mix. And there we know the Patriots aren't afraid to go with the small school guy, right? Look at right. Kyle Duggar and how that worked out. And that's that's kind of where I'll close this on names people should know. Uh,
1: Darian bit. Beavers is going to be there too, right, from Cincinnati. Uh, he, he's uh, an interesting one at linebacker also. I've heard some good things about him. I think, think he's a player that they'll, uh, they'll be interested in. Yeah,
0: Darian Beavers, yep.
1: Yeah, uh, and, there, and there's some good corners there too, correct? So, yeah,
0: yeah, so there are. So I kind of, on that note, one of my favorite things about the Senior Bowl is you kind of you see these guys from the smaller schools, and yeah. how do they do against Power Five competition? So I'll start. You know, I circle those guys who are the smaller school guys who I really want to see what they can do. The first guy circles. He's actually the first guy circled on this entire roster, believe it or not. Tari- uh, Tariq Woolen, Tariq Woolen from UTSA, University of Texas, San Antonio. I like Meet me. Uh,
1: Marcus Davenport. Davenport, right? Davenport yeah. yeah.
0: So they yeah. were really good this year. They were undefeated until their bowl game. Yeah. Um, Woolen is a really interesting prospect. He's high day four. He's high day three right now. He's going to be day two. He is a 6'4", 207-pound cornerback with, I think it's a 73-inch wingspan yeah. and a converted wide receiver. He's okay. only played corner for two years. So there, there's there's two sides to that, right? He's super raw, but you know who else is a converted wide receiver at corner? jc jackson right. and it's like again six four and he's a man corner a lot of these bigger corners like the really big corners they end up being zone guys teams try to turn them in like colleges try to turn them into richard showman sherman right woolens i mean he's not really man or zone because he's so raw but he can play man and boy i would just love to see if the patriots could get their hands on him what they could yeah. turn him into yeah so- have any
1: any Jawan vibes there big corner much better athlete,
0: much okay. better, much better. Like he's, that's the thing, like his stock's gonna and we'll see what he does at the combine and all of that. But the initial read I get on him is he's a much better athlete. And again, Juwan's like what?
1: six two two ten. I think he's, I think he's a little bit taller than that, but yeah,
0: about this guy's six, four. This is a red zone receiver playing man corner who can move. Okay. Like I just, I don't entirely know what he is. There's like, I, I'm not saying they should definitely pick him or I'm totally sold on him. I'm right. just saying the what's there. What's on the tape is watch him. Let's watch him and see what he turns into. Cause he could be somebody, the other small school guys. I, I really like we'll call UConn a small school. Cause it's football. Uh, Travis Jones. They got a defensive tackle there. Travis Jones. I like people have talked about them needing a true nose tackle, a run stopper. He's right. a three guy. Um, I mentioned Troy Anderson, Montana state, the linebacker potential first round tackle. He's like a, you know, 25 to 35 range, Trevor Penning, another one of these big tackles, is a guy who I think we're going to hear his name a lot in this this process. Your guy's going to be there, too, at the tackle group. What? Darren Kennard's going to be there. Darren, so I was going to get to that in a second. The other small school guys, though, um, Chris Paul is a four-position offensive lineman. What? Offensive lineman. Not the basketball lineman. Yeah, no, four-position offensive (laughs) lineman from Tulsa. I like him. I don't think they're taking a tight end. But yeah. Isaiah Likely is a super fun player, and he's from Cambridge, so I'm rooting for him. He's fun. And then, yeah, the last point I would make on this: we're they ultimately didn't do that much. They were pretty good, I think. In like five years, we're going to look back on this Kentucky team and wonder how they didn't win a national championship. There's yeah. so much freaking talent there from Dale Robinson, who won't be at the Senior Bowl, to Darian Kennard, who will be, Josh Pascal, who's an edge rusher, who will be. I want to see him take somebody from Kentucky. There and that's just like the tip of the iceberg. Um yeah, I I would love to see him watch all the Kentucky guys. And that's a great point in the chat. Imagine if they draft Chris Paul and Kobe Bryant in the same draft. Go.
1: Goats. And only I, one of them is a guard. Darren Kennard's interesting to me because yeah, now that he's going to be at the Senior Bowl, I I don't think any of the guys I could be wrong about that. It was Justin Huron a Senior Bowl guy? I think there was one offensive lineman in the last couple years yeah. that was a senior bowl guy but regardless of that it, it's as much as you want to see some of the flashier positions down at the senior bowl it makes it really easy to evaluate some of these linemen in real engagements and real contact with right. pads on and uh darian Kennard, if he's somebody that pops for the patriots uh over the week next week right. uh, him I, 21 might be a tiny bit high based off of some of the consensus that i've seen but he fits more of the. He checks more of the boxes than let's say like an Isaiah Win, right? He's bigger, oh, he's yeah. longer, he's he's more of your prototypical Big. tackle. Uh, yeah. Boxes being checked in terms of a physical profile. So if he goes down there and has a good week of practice and blocks well and looks the part. I don't hate that pick at all for them at, at in the back of the first round. Maybe you can trade back a, a little bit. If yeah. you don't get some of your top guys, you know, if Jordan Davis and the receivers that you like are all off the board or something like that, and you want to trade back the late 20s and add another pick on day two, you might be able to do that. So what, what I would say to that, and, and I'm a big canard guy, he's one of my
0: favorite players in this draft. I think him and Penning are similar players – they're kind of in similar standing in terms of the consensus and all of that where they're going to go. I think I actually have it here right in front of me. The consensus big board, NFL mock draft database.com, I think has them like three spots apart.
1: A little yeah. more than that.
0: They have Penning at 26. They have Canard at 37. I'm inter- Like, I think one of those guys is going to pop for the pa- it might be both, but I think at least one of those guys is going to pop for the Patriots. Right. I think you watch those two guys relative to each other yeah, and let's see, remember. because that's the There's three tackles at the top of the draft. Evan Neal, I I can't pronounce his last name, the kid from NC State, and uh, Charles Cross. Those guys should all go top 10, top 12. After that, there's kind of a drop-off, and then Penning and Kennard are really the two battling for late first-round tackles. So I think watching those two guys is going to be something really fascinating this week.
1: Yeah, and and when you really get into it with scouting linemen, as old-fashioned as it might be— yeah. In terms of hearing the contact and really getting up and close on on these types of players and being able to see things like hand usage and and little technical things that, to be honest with you, even with all 22 are sometimes a little bit difficult to pick up on, right, exactly where guys are doing with their hands and where they're placing their hands. Uh, When you get down on field level with those players, it's a lot easier uh, to see those things. Uh, you know, and be able to study those types of things. Yeah. Cool. So that's a senior bowl rundown. Alex and I will talk more about the senior bowl next week as the game uh, approaches. And hopefully- oh, real quick, uh, Falele, uh, I again
0: names can't do him. Daniel Philale,
1: yeah, Six eight, three
0: 380 pound tackle for Minnesota. He'll be there. Put him on that oh, list, too. All
1: uh, right. I think that some of the practices are going to be televised on NFL network. Could be wrong about that, they but I last year, I would yeah. think so. What I think some showing? of the practice will be, will be televised. So we'll try to watch some of those practices and uh, be able to see things. So that will be important too. And we'll talk a ton uh, about the senior bowl next week too. And uh championship weekend, your, your picks from Tuesday, change it all, Alex. Oh, what were they? Would I have Rams chiefs? Yeah, I had Rams chiefs also.
0: Mm. yeah i'll stick with that i'll stick yeah. with that who's more yeah. likely to get upset between that which or which pick do you feel better about
1: i feel better about the chief's pick to be honest with you, oh see i
0: feel better about the rams pick really yeah it's a jimmy g thing You you know me i'm not i'm not That's a believer fair. in jimmy g i'm not a believer in kyle shanahan i think they get very very lucky and the rams kind of feel like team of destiny ish So I don't know that that luck is going to be there for San Francisco.
1: Interesting. All right. All right. Well, we'll see. We'll talk about that a little bit on Tuesday as well. And if it's Chiefs or Rams, then uh, we're, we're really into the new age of football of just putting together these super teams and and trying to sell out in a lot of ways. The Rams is welcome to the NBA. Yeah. If the Rams win the Super Bowl, then that's going to be all the talk on all the talk radio shows is going to be about how, they sold out. They didn't care about the cap. They did all these types of things, right? And and they right. circumvented and they made all the loopholes possible to get Von Miller and OBJ and all these other players. So we'll talk about uh, the NFL playoffs a little bit, Senior Bowl, all those types of things next week. And we'll continue to monitor this very real situation in Las Vegas with the Raiders and Josh McDaniels. It almost feels like now that they put this out there that they're interviewing him, that this is a real, real possibility. Like, we might find out next week that yeah. Dr. Daniels is going to be the head coach of the Raiders, or so we think. So, uh, we'll talk Look, to if you guys he's interviewing week. tomorrow. If he's interviewing tomorrow, they might not let him out of the building. I know. We could have some breaking news here on Patriot Speed. Uh, we might have to slide in and uh, and do a, a live stream here on uh, yeah, Patriot Speed. Yeah, do 30 Plus, minutes on that. Yeah, whether it's Alex and I or uh, our friend John Zanis. Somebody will be on here with me, I'm sure, if Josh McDaniels ends up taking the Raiders job. And uh, we'll go from there on that. But uh, until Tuesday, hopefully, uh, maybe earlier, if Josh McDaniels uh, is a goner. Uh, we'll see you guys next week. And thanks so much for listening, as always.